0: All right. Well, I'm excited for this episode three here where we've got uh, Mr. Victor Prince uh, laying down some good perspective when it comes to what he calls strategically managing your leadership capital. And that is the the time and energy you invest in people and how to do that in a smart way so that you get the optimal results from all kinds of different folks, whether they're a quote slacker or a quote exemplar. And these terms come from his book. It's award-winning. It's called Lead Inside the Box. And this is a little bit visual, so you might want to go ahead and uh, come on over to awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep3, letters E-P-3, so you can look at that and potentially follow along. But even if you can't do that for a while, it's just fine. You can get the idea auditorily and, and check it out later. But uh, Victor had some fantastic nuggets to share associated with how not doing this strategic management can even be uh, life-threatening with regard to overwork. Some particular watchouts, like don't do this and pro tips, do do this, if you're interacting with a different particular category of person and how to have some of those tricky conversations and feedback for When that needs to happen. Victor Prince is the managing director of Discovered Logic, a strategy consulting and trading firm that serves clients in the US and overseas. He has over 20 years of experience in corporate and government leadership positions. He was a fellow Bain & Company consultant. In he, there, he led strategy engagements with the clients in the US, UK, France, and Spain. He was an executive at Capital One, where he managed the internet marketing strategy. And as a member of the Washington, D.C. Mayor Fenty's cabinet, he led the Capstat performance accountability program. And as the Chief Operating Officer of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, he helped build a new federal regulatory agency and led a division of over 300 people. So without further ado, I'll switch it over to Victor. We're here now. Thank you so much for joining us on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Glad to be here. Well, I, I noticed that uh, beyond the bio, you've done a number of cool adventures in terms of different travels and locations, and particularly the Camino recently. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience?
1: Yeah, so I, I do uh, my, my adventure travel. I do, I, I do big hiking and biking trips. And then a couple summers ago, I did the Camino across Spain. So it was about a month long of hiking, about 15 miles a day for, uh, for 30 days. And it was the uh, best month of my life.
0: Oh that, that sounds fantastic. Did you have any you, it, I hear along those journeys people meet interesting people and it goes into so many kind of unexpected uh, providential kinds of directions.
1: Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. So I end up you end up making friends and I've I've uh, made a bunch of friends from around the world and uh, have been to visit them in England and California and Sweden and elsewhere. So it's it's pretty amazing the relationships you form on that.
0: Well, that, that sounds like a treat. And you've also done a lot of relationship forming in your, your different roles. And you've I heard you say leading teams of three people to 300 people. You've learned some things and some patterns along the way. Could, could you share a little bit of kind of the story of how you came to discover some of the key teachings that we find in, in your book and training?
1: Sure, it's it's funny. So when I was doing the Camino, I was I was taking a sabbatical for my last job as a CLO, where I had about three hundred and fifty people or so. Um, and then as I reflected on my career, I, I started. I always saw a pattern that there was the input I had to put into folks on my team, and then the output I got out of them. And then mm-hmm. it, they started to the falling out into, into a class of two by two. That there's you know some folks you invested a lot of time into and. And you got a lot out of, and then there's other folks that you invest a lot of time into get nothing out of, and um, so it's all about figuring out when you, when you can figure out how they're performing. You can figure out how to get them to a better spot by doing different things and learning from your past experiences.
0: Excellent. And and so you've gone into this this two by two. Can you you share a little bit? You've you've put it out on a leadership matrix, and and you've given some additional kind of a particular. Uh, categories of of inputs and outputs. Can you sort of describe a little bit? What do you mean by leadership capital or an input that you put into somebody?
1: Sure. Well, we we first talk about this this concept of leadership capital. So just like companies have financial capital to invest, leaders have capital that they have to be very smart about how they invest across their teams. And that the capital is really the time and energy that you've got. So you can you can spend all your time with you know with with folks who need it, or you can become kind of smarter and, and you know, make sure that. That you invest it where you're going to get the most return because yeah. in the short term, you can you can spend more time at work and you can take on more stress. But you know, over the long term, that doesn't work out. And you're going to burn yourself out. So you have to be really smart about how you, you have the leadership capital that you do have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so you actually share a, a bit of a story that your co-author, Mike, <laughs> uh, sort of tried to overdo it a little bit and <laughs> resulted in, in a heart attack. What What's that about? Yeah, you know, you
1: never want to get a, a Facebook post from your co-author while you're writing a book that, you know, it's from a hospital gurney. So oh, you know, Mike Mike was really good about, um, you know, that was one of the really good angles he added to the book, which is this whole idea. of It's not just about finding these patterns in folks, but then figuring out how to, we have to manage ourselves as leaders. And, and this is a way to to you know, not necessarily spend more time or, or energy at work, but just get more out of that. So he he added a really good twist on that
0: one. So when you, when you talk about leadership capital and and the inputs, you kind of put those into a, a number of categories, such as uh, directing, doing, delivering, and developing. I love alliteration, so <laughs> yeah. it's good to remember. And so, uh, in practice, like, what is that looking like in terms of the the places where lots and lots of of time and energy and effort end up flowing?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's, it depends on each uh, with each member of your team. So one of the neat things that we did is. By having that framework on our website for the book, leadinsidethebox.com, we've, we've actually got an online questionnaire that you can fill out. So if you're, you know, if you're saying, "Hey, here's," I'm going to answer questions about how Victor uh, performs with my team. We go through a pretty simple questionnaire where we can we ask questions to get a sense of, you know, are, are you spending too much time kind of answering questions for these folks or taking responsibility to clean up their messes or, right. or, or that, those kind of things, and then you you get a result out to say, you know, this person's probably taking a little bit more input from you than, than on average. And this person in the end needs less. And, uh, and then we do the same thing with the output as well. So that, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty fun online quiz that we have there that people find pretty useful.
0: And I like just how simple it was with like one is yes, uh, zero <laughs> is no. Yeah. And, and then on the output side of things, I guess it's slightly more complex, a two, one, zero uh, for, for high, medium, low. But, but uh, tell us a bit, you, you mentioned a few kind of key ways to think about the output side of things with regard to quantity and quality, uh, timeliness and intangibles. Uh, which of those do you think... Uh, is kind of the the hardest to, to glean or tease out because I think in some ways some of those will probably be uh, leaping to mind quickly and others will be a little trickier to discover.
1: Absolutely. So when you know one of the things to keep in mind is we as we do these this survey and the criteria that management is not just a computer program. So leadership is an art. So this yeah. is a tool to help you get to that and and it's all about directionally putting you know, differentiating your folks, not necessarily putting them in boxes, but just differentiating. So you know on the output side. Um, in some jobs it's easy to, to kind of measure quality and and, qua- and quantity of output right like but, sales yeah like sales for example it's a great one in other places it's not so much so there you know we, we talk a lot about it's about the relative scale and differentiating de averaging your folks just to figure out you know these two are in, in a very similar role maybe making kind of the same same amount of compensation things and let's you know let's see which ones you know above average and which one's below average on this particular criteria so it's 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 not making it a computer program, but it's kind of applying a little bit of a diagnostic to help you with the art that is leadership.
0: And so once we sort of know where folks stand, I'd love to get into a little bit of meat here with regard to, so what do I do with different categories of folks? I think in some ways it's sort of tempting. We all want them to be. Uh, at least I want people to be. My <laughs> temptation is uh, low input, high output kinds of folks, or the two categories sure. you call them, the uh, the domain masters and the rising stars. Like, oh yeah, I'd like a lot of those. But uh, in practice, uh, that's that's not how it always goes. You know, you got a you got to mix. So so what do you do once you know where people land and sit? Yeah. So just first of all, it's a perfect point, which
1: is. If we were able, if we had the luxury of time and the and ability to hire our own team, you know, sure we would get all people that we think gonna be these exemplars. Just we'd get the, the all the A players, but that's not the real world. Right. So you get the team that you inherit most of the time. So you know, part of the exercise is is figuring out the team you got and then looking at that. So with the folks in that exemplar box, what's What's interesting is they're a gift, right? So these are the folks that are pr- producing the lion's share of your results, and, and they're not taking any of your time doing it. So the, that, that's great to have them, but there is, there's a risk with that as well, which is you can easily take them for granted. So you can either not uh, let them know how much you appreciate the work they're doing, not give them the right rewards, or you can, not, um, or you can try to hold on to them too long. Because if they're, if they're just in your, you know, on your team for a while on a, on a very fast career trajectory, they're going to leave your team anyway. If you're not careful, they might leave your team and actually exit your organization, which makes you now look bad for losing one of the rising stars.
0: Oh, no, that's fantastic. So, well, it's not fantastic to lose a rising star, <laughs> but a fantastic insight with regard to uh, there could be some, some risks and temptations in, in that quadrant. Could you maybe walk us through the other three quadrants? What are some sort of watchouts associated with them?
1: Yeah, so the, um, so the other type of folks that are your high output folks but here's the, the people that, that take a lot more of your input to get there. And we call these your high-cost uh, producers, right? So just like a, you have different high-cost factories. But uh, they produce great results, take a lot of input to get there. And they come in two flavors. So one is uh, what we call the steamroller. So these are the people who who get great results, but they just run over a lot of toes and, and create a lot of friction on the way to do that. Yeah. So the input that you've got to do there is you're always you know giving them feedback, fixing the messes they make, apologizing for them. Um, and then w- with them, you've got to learn how to – to let them clean up their own messes and not make messes in, in, uh, to start with, so that because if you keep doing that for them, you're actually holding them back from becoming one of those exemplars. Hmm. So that's that's the steamrollers, um, and then the the other folks are what we call the squeaky wheels. And these these are the people that are always in your office, always emailing you, asking you if you know, hey, should I do this or that? Or I'm about to make this decision. Does that sound all right, boss? And you know, it's, it's really it's, as a manager, as a leader, it's great to feel to feel useful and to sm- feel smart by helping people out. But you're actually holding them back as well because you know, as if you're telling people, if you're always giving them, all right, yep, that's what I would do, then they're not learning. You know, you, you should try to find places where you know, it's okay that you know, as long as they know what the bounds are of their authority, that it's okay for them. You make the decision, you make, and then. We'll talk about it if you know, if you fail, but because the other thing that you find is that people do is a lot of times these squeaky wheels—they're doing it not because they don't know the answer; they either know the answer and don't have confidence, or they know the answer but they're going to—they're trying to push off the risk and the responsibility off to their boss. Which is, if something does go wrong, they're like, "Well, you told me."
0: So oh, it's, that's I so hear it's, that. it's,
1: it's it's important to uh, to think about that as well. It's great to feel useful, but think about—you know—you might be being uh, counterproductive in the long term.
0: And along those lines, it seems like there could be gigantic email chains where it's (laughs) like everybody's included just to do a little bit of the the covering of the rear end. Can you confirm? Can you also confirm? (laughs) Right. Okay, so so that's the high-cost producer categories, the steamrollers and the squeaky wheels. How about the the detractors? I guess that's uh, the the worst of all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so the detractors are, and once again, these boxes aren't good or bad, and and the whole exercise Ah. here is not about labeling people it's about saying here's different in the roles that they're in here's kind of their performance pattern and how do we get them to a better spot because I'll just, so mike and i both talk about this in our career we've been in all these boxes ourselves you know and okay uh, so it's not it's not like if you're a detractor you're always a bad person or anything like that but so the in the detractor box these are the folks that you you spend a lot of time with as the leader, so you're fixing their problems, you're giving them advice, and all the more than average, more than you really should be doing. But you're not getting results out of them that that are in line with with the input you have got out of them. So you got to you've got to fix that pretty quickly because it's it's going to do two things. So one is, um, you know, if they don't get into a better spot professionally, they're probably you know they're probably one layoff away or something like that from being in a really bad spot. So you've got to make it very clear to them how yeah. they you know the situation is not good for them professionally and, and here's how, you know, we got to fix this ASAP and here's how we need to fix this. So just for them, it's important, but, um, uh, for you as well, but then more importantly for your team in general, if you let these, if you let detractors kind of just stay in that bad box, people, everyone else on the team knows, you know, where the, where your um, the people who are just in the wrong jobs or the people who are just aren't trying, they see that and they know that every day that you're not fixing that. The rest of the team is looking at, at you as the boss and saying, you know, you're not doing your job, so why should I do mine? I'm tired of carrying the weight for, for the folks there just because you're not addressing the problems.
0: Oh, that is a fantastic frame. There, it's in their own best interest because their career is at risk uh, yeah. for what could happen. Yeah, it's in the overall team's best interest because people are they're watching, they're noting it. So I think that's a fantastic perspective. And do you have any best practices for how you go about delivering some of that difficult feedback along the way?
1: Yeah, you know, with because uh, there's two different types. There's the square pegs. So these are the folks that are just in the wrong job, right? So maybe they got mm-hmm. promoted too early. Maybe they got reorganized into something that they just aren't there. So with them, it's just sitting down and saying, "Hey, here's your job description, and here's you know what you need to do, and here's you know let's find the capability gaps because you know let's, if you've got some gaps here, let's quickly figure that out, figure out where you can get some training or some experience, and then you know let's let's get going with that. So it's with them, it's all about finding what gaps they have. And then with the other type, which is they've got the, they've got the skills to do the job but they just don't have the will, so these are what we call your slackers so them All it's right. it, it's sitting with them to figure out, hey you know why are, you know why aren't you getting this done is it motivation is there you know is, it, is someone stealing the credit for your work is it you know is this mm-hmm. not the job that you want you just don't understand that you know you're um, you're getting paid. You kind of have to work. <laughs> you figure out what the motivation is, and, and if you can unlock that, the great thing about slackers is that if you can unlock that motivation, they're talented people and they can do great, which would be great for you as a team and be great for them professionally. Because then they could, you know, you, your slackers could easily be your exemplars if, if they just get that right motivation unlocked.
0: All right. And how about the the final quadrant, the passengers? Yeah, the passengers are, are in
1: some ways one of the more interesting ones because these are the folks. Where they don't take a lot of your time. so they're not creating problems and, and, and that type of thing, but they' not they're also not uh, providing the output that they should. And even though they're not creating problems that you, you have to deal with, you know very clearly they are creating a lot of problems that, that you're not dealing with. And these come in two two flavors. So one is what we call the joyriders. writers. And these are the people who come to work with a lot of energy. They love being at work. They love the social aspect and all that. And they're always busy, but they're just not doing the job that they're supposed to do.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then for them, it's it's the challenge is because they're not doing the job they're supposed to do. Someone else is picking that up. So they're, they're, their colleagues are doing their work for them. And because and in some ways they're like, well, it's just easier for me to do it than try to redirect them. But at the same time, their colleagues, you, know, it is costing you because, because you as the boss aren't redirecting them. So the colleagues are mad because they're, they're having to do their work. And then you're also deserving that person themselves because that person is very has a lot of great energy. And if you can just focus them on the job that they're paid to do, they could do very well. So that's it's your job as a boss to turn them around for your team and for themselves. And then the other type is the stowaway, which is these are the po- folks, you know, that just they're coming in and they're just trying to get a paycheck and do as little work as possible. And and they've gotten very good about being very slippery, trying to get, get and hold them to work, which uh, it's easy in some ways. It's just, it's easier for you as the boss just to to not engage them. But once again, everyone on the team knows exactly who's not pulling their weight, and their uh, and their their morale is down if if the boss isn't isn't addressing that because that person's taken up a very valuable slot on the team.
0: Well, and it sounds like the stowaways may be the tricky The toughest to I don't, I don't you probably don't want to use the word fix, <laughs> but uh, upgrade, elevate. The, the key with them is just to engage them, which is like they they become
1: masters. At just staying in the shadows and and you know showing up and not getting fired, not getting trouble, not getting fired, but you know just getting there and, and having a job. And you just really got to engage and say, "Hey, listen, you know, the the gig's up." That you know <laughs> I see you. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, yeah. Here's here's the job description you have, and here's you know other people have that same one, and here's you know you, you make it. You, you, it's not personal. You just say, "Here's what your job description is, and here's what everyone else is producing. Here's where you are." Let's work through why this is happening. Is it do you need do you need some training? Do you need you know am I not giving you something you need? So you get them to you know to you, you figure out with them what the what the engagement is, and if if it's just that they're not interested in the job, then help them find another job. If it's that you know you're doing something to, to demotivate them, figure that out. But you just have to engage them. Just you know spend that time, and because as a manager as a leader, it's really easy if someone's not demanding your time, you love it if you can save time and not have to you know have that half hour meeting or whatever. Yeah. But some cases you really need to insist on it.
0: Oh, that's, that's good stuff. And you also mentioned in this world of sort of leadership temptations is that when it comes to the performance review uh, time, you may have some temptations to give people, for example, the, uh, the squeaky wheels. Uh, maybe a, a lower mark in some places, but like, that's what you think is deserved. But you know, maybe you're like, Oh, I don't want to deal with the headache associated <laughs> with that. What are some other kind of risks or temptations that appear during performance review time?
1: Well, you know, I think just, there's three uh, temptations that I think people, uh, managers have that, that, that one of the reasons why we wrote the book, which is, you know, people either, they want to managers go through the, what we call the path of least resistance, which is, you know, I want to work with the people that are, Easier to work with, more fun to work with, and I'm going to spend all my time and energy there. And um, so they go down that path. And so the, another one is everyone thinks that some managers think they've just got to spend you know the same amount of time and energy with everyone. We call that the peanut butter approach, which is you know if, if your CFO invested your company's money that way, you probably wouldn't be very happy. Oh no! Uh, and then the third one is is just being reactionary. So whoever. You know, it's knocking on your door or whoever's the squeakiest wheel you're, you're always spending the time and energy with. So as leaders, that's that's part of what we have to do, whether it's performance reviews or whether it's just the, how you spend all your your time and energy every day. It's, it's being smart about how you invest your time and, and where you want to invest the energy that you have to give feedback, to engage people, and that type of thing.
0: Perfect. Well, so now having gotten a, a bit of a, a sense for what the model is and how the matrix works, could you maybe share with us a, a success story or a case study or just – how that ended up making a real positive impact in practice with with real people.
1: Yeah, you know, um, once again, I'll talk. So I've been in most of these boxes, and between Mike and I, we've been in all these boxes. So it's, in some ways, it's easier to tell a personal story. Sure. Uh, so and you know, we disguise the, the stories are composites and that kind of stuff. But sure. so in one, one of the one of one of the stories in the book is a pretty thinly veiled composite because the the name is Mikhail, so you can figure oh, out which sure. one of those is us. But talks about you know, there's a project where. A young consultant you know has been getting great reviews, comes on a new project, and then you know does kind of a what they think is a pretty slick presentation that's pretty edging and, and cutting edge because it's you know the latest technology and all the stuff that's going on the internet, but then the client doesn't like it and says it's just the latest thing that you know they could they could have read from one of the one of the internet sites or something, so you know it demotivates the guy he checks out and then the 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 so what of that is the manager engages in that, and it's not just about giving someone feedback and saying. You know, this is not this performance is not going to serve you well. It's not going to serve your client well. It's not going to serve us well. But then, what the manager did it also said, you know what? I owe this to you, so I'm going to make sure that I manage you for the next several projects until you turn this around. Because one of the things that's so easy to do in, in today's world as a leader is, you know, you get someone on your team who's not who's not doing a great job, but you're like, you know, either she's going to move on in six months, or I'll move on in ten you know, ten months to a new job. So I'll just let the next person do it. And that's that's one of the biggest. You know, biggest failures and, and uh, of a weak leader is not to. It's just to kind of wait things out and not not address a problem like that. So in that case, it was a good example of the manager not just giving the feedback, but then saying, "You know what? I'm going to take you on my t- uh, on my team until we either fix this or we or we figure something else out."
0: That is great, and it it, it seems kind of heroic. Really, it's like that is a a degree of self sacrifice, but it is in the interest of the employee, the team, the the company, and sort of all those folks that individual will touch professionally over the decades to come. Yeah. Cause it, it's, it's really
1: about thinking about your role as a team leader and in, in, in different ways, which is you've got bets to place, right? So you've only got so many hours and, and so much energy in a week to spend. So you want to place your bets on different parts. And in this case, that leader said, you know what? It's going to cause me stress and more work, but I think I think it's the right thing for the company to help you get through this. I think it's the right thing for you. I owe it to you as as not just your boss, but as kind of a career coach. It's one of the roles that you have as a leader. So I, you know, it's worked for me, but I'm going to spend more more than my uh, uh, you know average number of chips on you just because it's the right thing to do. And that's that's where getting being smarter. And not just
0: working harder as a leader is important. Perfect. Thank you. Well, before I, I shift gears to the, the rapid fire fast faves <laughs> section, is there anything else that we should talk about with regard to lead inside the box or the leadership matrix before moving on? I just want to make sure if you've got a golden nugget that uh, I don't skip past it.
1: <laughs> well, I, I guess uh, you know, the, the great thing is that the, one of the biggest insights we get get from readers is as soon as people see the framework, they go, aha, that's you know, that's Victor or that's Joanne or they immediately see the pattern. And and the point of the book, once again, it's not about putting people in boxes. It's about seeing these patterns, because once you identify a pattern, someone is in you more quickly and and come up with a better strategy to to help them get to a better place by just understanding, you know, how, how these patterns fall out in different examples from the past. So that that's one of the biggest ahas we get is that just by having the framework, people it just it's just unlocking knowledge that they've already had, but it helps them draw on it quicker.
0: That's been my experience with. I think uh, any good framework. That's kind of what it should do. It's it, it liberates that, and and now we know it, and we can move on quickly. Uh, Once you give a, a bit of a vocabulary to that, whether it's like sounds like the Myers Briggs, or sounds like a leadership matrix, or sounds like any number of two by twos uh, we've had the pleasure of making for our, our clients. Yeah. Uh, in consulting. Absolutely. All right. Well, if that covers that, I'd love to move into the fast faves. Could you start off by sharing with us what's a favorite quote you have? Something that you you find inspiring or rejuvenating again and again.
1: Uh, you know, I'm a big John Lennon fan, uh, so I I usually use the quote. Uh, I'm not sure the exact words, but "Life is what happens while you're making other plans." And what I like about that quote is he wrote that in a solo album in 1980, and he died. He got killed just a month later, so it was. It's just a great story that particularly as, you know, as, as people who are early in our careers or others that we've got all these grandiose plans about where we want to go or where we want to be in 20 years. But you know, we, can, we can spend all our time thinking about you know, the path to get there. Just We have to realize that every day we're living it. So that's it's just a good reminder that in our careers or in our life that just enjoy
0: every day and make every day count. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite uh, study or a piece of experimentation or research you find yourself thinking about or citing often?
1: Yeah. Uh, so one thing that always got me is, is I got jobs of bigger and bigger responsibility and more and more authority, particularly when I worked in the government where you've got some legal authority as well. Oh, yeah. I always thought about the, the the huge responsibility that you've got that goes along with that authority and that, that test about the, the the people who are uh, told they're delivering shocks to the students and then they hear the Oh, Milgram. Yeah, I forget the name of it. That, that one always reminds me that you've got to be careful because you forget it. Like if you're a COO you know you're just i'm just victor but you know when you're talking to other people they see a lot of authority and, and if you you know, if you just make offhanded remarks or you ask them to do things you know, they're going to assume that you know that you've thought about it and, and they're going to do it just because you say so not because you know that you're suggesting it so that's one thing to think about as your career as you get more authority just think about um, that are you doing it's not just think about it. people view you with authority you got to make sure that you're doing you're doing things that are always right because mm-hmm. people will do, even if you make mistakes, people will follow you just because you're in authority sometimes.
0: Yeah. And how about a, a favorite book, uh, something that you found incredibly useful in your own career development?
1: Yeah, you know, so I, I love nonfiction books, and there's a lot of oh, good ones too. out there. But but for fun, I read historical fiction. And, and one, uh, one of the historical fiction books I read that had a had a good, uh, good effect on me in my career is Ken Follett's The Pillars of the Earth. And the, the reason it's, it's this historical fiction that goes on over generations in England and it's about a guy, a family and a guy who built a cathedral. And then the, so what I got out of that for my career was that he, people would build these cathedrals, but it takes a hundred years back then to build a cathedral. So, you know, in 20 years, you know, you, you may not live to see the end of your work. But you, you, you left a mark, right? So the people who did the facades and the churches or others, they put all that craftsmanship in because they wanted to leave results of the work that they'd done even long after they left that, you know, in that case, their lives. But, so I've always taken that as I always, I always think about the results and the impact I'm leaving in a job that I have or, you know, what's going to be there in 10 years or 20 years, not just, you know, am I going to get a good review this year? Oh,
0: that's, that's powerful. Thank you. How about a favorite website or online resource that's been useful to you?
1: Uh, you know, so I'll, will admit my guilty pleasure in the football season is, is all the fantasy football podcasts. <laughs> that cause I love the strategy and all that, but, uh, you know, one I love just, I use a, as a resource more is I love snopes.com because it, it's the one that goes out. And whenever you hear a rumor online, it's the one that kind of does research and, and either says if it's true or not, or, you know, if it's partly true or not. So I, I love that site because it, it's not really partisan or political. It's just, you know, it gets at, because a lot of times as a leader, um, where I, where I bring that back as a leader, when you hear good news, you know, particularly about something that going on in your team or a strategy that you had, that's working. You want to kind of believe the good news. Uh, but right. Snopes is just a good example of always, you know, get the data, always go for data. Don't just like hear what you want to hear, figure out whether it's true or not.
0: Oh, my buddy Brent loves that one. It's, <laughs> it, it's fun. How about a favorite habit, uh, a personal practice of yours that has been pretty instrumental in, in helping you get where you've gotten?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, so I'm certainly I'm more of a writing career now. So one of the things I do is I just, I try to write something five days a week, right? So what writers write is the, is the same. It goes and, and you can think about things all day, but until you start putting pen on paper or, or, you know, putting pixels on the screen, um, what's in your head doesn't exist until you start writing. So, you know, even if it's, even if it's 50 words or, or a small thing, I just try to start do something every day in a little way just to get the the wealth flowing. So that, I think that applies to anything. So my goal is you know, to have a book a year kind of thing. So I'm just going to take oh, wow. day time, one day at a time and, and do a little bit of writing. Each oh, we're day catching you at the
0: to... early stages then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. My, my next one actually I'm working on is, is going to be uh, a little bit about the Camino that we talked about.
0: Oh, that's great. I think so. How about any favorite tools with regard to whether it's gadgets or software or uh, devices or thought frameworks that you find useful?
1: You know, I'm a big two by two guy. Obviously, that's what All my right. my first book is built around that. So I always love you find two things that you know that that are that you can really de-average the world against and, and give you a useful way to figure out. So two by two is a great framework, but then you yeah, technology-wise, like I'm I love my iPad because I, I pair it up with keyboard, and then it helps me in, in the goal I had last time about writing every day. So I tuck that thing. You know, I don't have to carry a briefcase. I'll I'll tuck my iPad in, in my the small of my back and take it out wherever I go. So if I'm at a restaurant and I get a good idea about a blog post I want to do, I just start writing. So having something that something very wearable, you know, that, that you can just work on wherever you are is, is kind of a good trick that I found.
0: Speaking of tricks, any time saving approaches that you like to employ?
1: The multitasking is one. So you know, but it's a double edged sword. So I love to do two things at once, but then you know the the downside with that is it can be distracting. So uh, I, I probably the I go getting low tech helps me out. So every day I just start with one piece of paper and I write down here's the here's the five things I know I want to get done today, you know, and then I just I get to low tech and simple, and that helps keep me from uh, getting too ADD from multitasking.
0: And how about a favorite sort of nugget of wisdom or truth bomb? I've noticed that with a lot of folks who write books or speak, like they they know but there's a little something that when you say it the the head start nodding the the pen start clicking for the note taking on twitter it gets retweeted <laughs> what's that for you
1: you know i, I did a, i did a blog that was pretty popular particularly with um, with folks it was it was basically cuz i get a lot of questions from people particularly in their 20s or starting their career about advice i have and i said you know what? so i'm going to write a letter back to my my 45 year old self or write a letter back to my 25 year old self and and the biggest thing i had in that was you know, don't just get ready. For, don't think about what the ideal career you have. It, you're going to have several. So I've had, I think I'm on career number seven now. And the All point right. is, keep trying things until you find something that, that that you love to do, that you're good at, and someone will pay you enough. Right. And if you can find the job where, where you can answer those three questions in the way that you need to, that's where you find happiness and success and you get the right balance. And, you know, that's, it. don't just do what people you think you should be doing. If you can find the job that you love, you're good at, and someone will pay you enough to do, then uh, you've kind of figured it out. Oh,
0: that that's good. I was just talking about Breaking Bad, Walter White. I, didn't, I don't know if you saw this <laughs> series.
1: Yeah, I love that series. I, I would I wouldn't recommend that as a career track. No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's kind. Of, he said something similar about this uh that path. But and how about it's probably not Walter White, but a a favorite uh, a role model, you know, someone that you look up to professionally and and why that is
1: so it was kinda neat when I I went to Wharton and then uh, I used to get the Wharton magazine and there was an alumni in there who was a a bunch of years ahead of me that was doing some stuff I really thought was neat I was living in DC and he he was working in DC he ran the metro system in DC then he went off to uh, to be the city administrator which is kinda like the the deputy mayor and then he went off to treasury and and then um, other places always like that's kinda neat because he was in public service doing kinda MBA really cool level stuff and then so I thought it'd be fun to, to meet him, and I ended up not only meeting him, I ended up working with him in, in DC, and he became a little bit of my mentor. And uh, but his name is Dan Tangerlini. So he was uh, his his last big job. He was the head of GSA, which was uh, President Obama asked him to to go in and, and turn around the GSA after after a pretty big scandal that they had uh, a few years ago. So if you ever see the name Dan Tangerlini, T-A-N-G-H-E-R, L-A-N-I, he's a he's a really interesting guy, really innovative.
0: And what about a favorite way to find you? if Folks want to learn more or get in touch with you is, is email or Twitter or website what what's the best path?
1: Yeah, uh, probably the best. I've got a lot of websites. Probably the simplest one is just my name so victorprince.com and there's a, a it's kind of a switchboard to all the other sites that I have. So just victorprince.com and then um you know my books on Amazon and all the usual places and then it's it's about to start being in all the FedEx office stores as well, which is there's like a, a couple thousand of those across the U.S. and it's in the it's in most airport books, bookstores, the Hudson bookstores. So, oh, that's great. Places, yeah, a lot of places to find me. So,
0: and, and that, to- those are dream distribution channels. There's not space for a ton of books at the FedEx, <laughs> but you're yeah. in,
1: you're in. So look me up at victorprince.com and I love uh, engaging with folks who uh, who read my stuff or, or other things. So, we
0: oh, will do. Love to hear from your audience. Oh, thank you. And, and as a parting thought, do you have maybe a, a favorite uh, challenger or call to action that you'd like to leave folks with? It's
1: don't just don't just do well, do good. Right. So a lot of folks because I was on the fast track Wharton MBA. A lot of my classmates went out and you know, done extremely well. But there's so much there's so much that people that leaders and others who got that kind of education can do that. It's not just about making money, but but helping the world out. And I don't mean in small things, just pick something where you can if you spend 10 percent of someone who's got an MBA or is a really you know smart leader at work. Just applying a little bit of that in the, in the nonprofit space or others has such leverage. So think about that as, as, you, as you get more experience in your career. Think about where you can make a small investment that has huge dividends in, in a place like that.
0: Oh, perfect. Well, well, Victor, thanks so much. This has been a real treat to have you on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I, I wish you the best of luck and continue to make a positive difference in all the ways you do here.
1: Glad to help out, Pete.
0: Anytime. So that's Victor's perspective there. If you want to check out uh, that matrix and see what that is visually and access some of the things mentioned in a a handy link format, just come on down to com slash ep3, letters E-P, then the number three, and look forward to catching you next time. Bye-bye.